0: Listen to more episodes of this podcast earlier than everybody else and add free when you sign up for Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service that's audience-supported, featuring more than 130 top-tier educational creators focusing on making content for you and not for an algorithm. Sign up for Nebula by clicking on the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversationswithjoe to support the podcast and get more eye-opening content. This video is brought to you by Curiosity Stream and Nebula a lot of debate over what qualifies as the first science fiction book ever written, but one of the earliest for sure is a book called The Description of a New World Called the Blazing World, published in 1666. And while it may or may not be the actual first science fiction book ever written, it is definitely the first science fiction book published by a woman. That woman was Margaret Lucas Cavendish. She was the Duchess of Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and her magnum opus was only science fiction in the loosest sense of the term. It also had elements of fantasy, romance, philosophy, theology, and political theory. The Blazing World is a story of a parallel universe that's accessed through a portal at the North Pole. And this other universe is completely different from the one that we live in. It's got different constellations in the sky. It's got people that are shaped like animals and vice versa. All kinds of weird stuff. Kevin just describes them as, quote, Some ant-men, some geese-men, some spider-men, some lice-men, some fox-men, some ape-men. In other words, she created half of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The book's heroine and the emperor of this new world fall in love and marry, and the emperor gives her the power to control everything in this new universe. So she uses this power to advance science and assign new jobs to people according to the types of people that they are. She wrote, The bear men were to be her experimental philosophers, the bird men her astronomers, the fly, worm, and fish men her natural philosophers, the fox men her politicians, then the spider and lice men her mathematicians, and so on. I feel like I need to point out that natural philosophers was the early term for scientists. Books and theories about parallel universes are pretty commonplace today, uh, but we've been trying to figure out the nature of reality since the dawn of time. From Plato's Allegory of the Cave to Nick Bostrom's simulation argument, humans have been trying to figure out for a very, very long time why we're here, what's our purpose, and how all this came to be. And along the way, we've, uh, we've come up with some doozies. Throughout the history of this channel, I've had a recurring gag where whenever I talk about ideas that are really fringy and out there, I have this thing called the woo-woo alarm. And it's just sort of my way of letting you know not to take what I'm about to say too seriously. It's usually for segments of videos that just sort of call out that what I'm about to say is probably less than credible. But uh, for this particular video, even though there are a couple of theories here that are based on some pretty high-level science, really this, this whole video deserves a woo-woo alarm. So in that spirit, Yes, I would like to renew my car warranty. First up is the double moon theory. Our moon is actually quite unique in our solar system. It's pretty large in proportion to our planet, which is unique amongst the rocky planets. They all have very small moons if they have any moons at all. Actually, Mars is the only other rocky planet that has a moon, and they're basically captured asteroids. But it gets a lot weirder because, according to this theory, the moon is actually two moons. Have you ever noticed that the two sides of the moon look very different from each other? and that, ironically, the dark side of the moon is actually lighter in tone than the Earth side of the moon. There are large plains of volcanic rock called maria that are covering most of the near side, but on the far side, there's only a couple of maria. It doesn't take up that much space. And the near side surface is mostly low and flat, whereas the far side surface is higher and mountainous, at about 1.9 kilometers in general. And compared to each other the far side's crust is about 50 kilometers thicker than the near side and the near side contains more potassium rare earth elements and phosphorus also known as creep you mean that giant thing in the sky that's always watching us is a little creepy you don't say this all suggests that something squished the creep layer on one side at one point so to explain this a study published in the journal nature in 2011 proposed that once upon a time there were actually two moons that collided into each other to create the moon that we have today. The smaller moon would have been about a thirtieth of the moon's mass and about a thousand kilometers in diameter. And according to some computer simulations that were done, it suggested that the second moon kind of pancaked itself onto the rest of the moon. Of course, the moon itself is thought to have been formed by a massive impact with the Earth from a smaller planet called the Theia hypothesis. So the second moon might have been formed out of that impact as well, and then they just sort of circled around the Earth for millions of years before they eventually collided into each other. They even suggested that this second moon might have been sort of stuck at a Lagrangian point for millions of years while the bigger moon kind of expanded out its orbit, which the moon is currently doing right now, and the idea being that as the bigger moon expanded its orbit out far enough, it shook that second moon out of the Lagrangian point, and they smacked into each other. So this sort of collision mechanism that they came up with would also uh, mean that they collided at a little bit slower speed, around 7,200 to 10,800 kilometers an hour. And the slower speed would mean that instead of just forming a giant crater, it would have just scattered its pieces all around the larger moon. And that impact would have pushed underground magma toward the near side, which would explain why there's so much creep on that side of the moon. One of the study's co-authors, Eric Asfog, gave a nice appetizing summation of the research by saying, quote, Imagine a ball of Gruyere colliding into a ball of Cheddar. Get it? Because cause the moon is made of cheese. I got it. I got it. It's, it's an astronomy joke. Okay, just real quick. I actually got the idea for the whole double moon theory thing from the Red Letter Media guys. Uh, it was a best of the worst episode, and there was a scene with a turtle on the surface of the moon, and yet there was a moon in the sky behind it, and so Mike started talking about double moon theory, and he had this whole diagram of like a moon behind the moon, and, and he had doublemoontheory.net, and I was like, oh my god, I haven't heard of double moon theory, That's some, some people believe that there must be two moons, and so uh, I went and looked it up, went to doublemoontheory.net, and uh, it turns out, no, the whole thing was just made up, it was just a joke in the show, but somebody, one of the fans, had, had bought out <laughs> doublemoontheory.net, and uh, put up a little illustration of Mike and I think Jay sort of spooning each other in beds and just kind of like apologizing for having done that. Um, the internet's led to a lot of bad things, but it can also be awesome. But anyway, while, while researching double moon theory, I found out that there is sort of a double moon theory, this idea that once upon a time there were two moons and they collided. So I went ahead and included them on here. Uh, it's not really a theory about reality per se, but it was interesting and fun. So I put it in. Now let's get to the really weird stuff. Last Thursdayism. You might want to get a brain bucket ready for this one. All right, so the last Thursdayism is the belief that the world and the universe was created last Thursday. So, whenever it is that you're watching this right now, the, the world was created the previous Thursday from now. If you're watching it next week, well, then it was created the next Thursday. It, what, uh, yeah. Created last Thursday, but made to look billions of years old. Everything from fossils to your family to every memory you've ever had was all created last Thursday. It's an idea that can't be refuted because any evidence that you might come up with to refute it was all created last Thursday. Uh, Another way of describing this is to call it unfalsifiable. Now, a related, also unprovable idea is next Thursdayism. This is the idea where the universe has not been created yet, that everything we're experiencing right now is simply a prototype. It's sort of a, a test run, and that the actual universe is going to go live next Thursday. Last Thursday could be considered a reductio ad absurdum, or reduction to absurdity of the Umphalos hypothesis. Philip Henry Goss was a naturalist who came up with that hypothesis in 1857 to help reconcile evolution and creationism. His hypothesis was in reply to the Young Earth Creationism movement, which is the idea that uh, the world was created in six days, just like the Bible said, you know, a few thousand years ago, and everything that we find, like dinosaur fossils and all that, was placed there by God to test our faith. So last thursday Asim kind of takes that idea and says, you know, why wait thousands of years if everything could have been created and made to look ancient then why not just say it all happened last thursday last thursdayism is it, it, it it's it's a bonkers idea and it's not really meant to be taken that seriously but it does bring up a lot of philosophical questions like would we be able to know for sure whether or not the universe was created last thursday what kind of tests could disprove this theory and does the world reset every thursday at midnight for more answers you can always go to the church of last thursday website uh i don't know if it's a parody website or not who can tell anymore But yeah, according to The Last Thursday Church, the universe was created on Thursday and will expire on Thursday. The universe was created by you as a test for yourself. You will be rewarded or punished when this universe expires based on your actions here. Left-handedness is a sinful temptation. Everyone but you was placed here and pre-programmed to act as parts of your test environment. And everybody but you knows this. So a lot of that is basically just solipsism. Uh, the idea that you're kind of living in a Truman Show kind of thing where everybody else around you knows what's going on except for you. What is their deal with left-handed people, though? How did- how- wh- why? Hollow Earth theory. So the Earth's interior consists of the crust, the upper mantle, the mantle, the outer core, and the inner core. We know this because of years of research using things like seismic waves and other instruments, also that t-shirt that I'm always wearing. But what if we're wrong? What if the Earth is actually empty? That is the main idea behind the Hollow Earth Theory. Uh, People who believe in the Hollow Earth Theory believe that the Earth is really just a shell with a crust only about 800 miles thick. And they also believe that there are holes in the polar regions that are 1,400 miles across that people can enter to go into the inside of the planet. John Symes popularized the Hollow Earth Theory in the early 1800s. He spent much of his life trying to convince people that our planet consisted of a series of concentric shells. Now, science belief is neither new or original. Various civilizations have had myths going back centuries to describe worlds that exist beneath our feet. There's the Greek underworld, the Christian hell, the Hindu Patala. Indigenous peoples in the Americas told numerous tales of ancestors emerging from another world inside the Earth. Even famed English astronomer Edmund Halley proposed that the Earth was hollow in 1692. He based his theory on Isaac Newton's value of lunar relative density. Halley noticed that our planet's magnetic field lines were unpredictable and they shifted a little bit each year and he associated that with the idea that the Earth might be hollow. So he claimed that the Earth had four concentric shells, and we live on the outside shell, but there's four inside, and those are what create and mess with the magnetic field. The Earth is represented by an outward circle, Halley wrote, and the three inward circles are made nearly proportionable to the magnitudes of the planets Venus, Mars, and Mercury, all of which may be included within this globe of Earth. And like Saturn's rings, all those shells are held in place by gravity. Halley's theory didn't really get much attention after its publication, but he wasn't completely wrong. The Earth does have layers, and those layers are what creates the magnetic field. An interesting offshoot of the Hollow Earth theory was proposed by a physician named Cyrus Teed in the 19th century. Teed inverted the theory and suggested that the entire universe is a shell that we are living on the inside of. We're basically living in the Hollow Earth. According to him, when we look up, what we're seeing is uh, an illusion created by a solar mechanism, and, and the stars are like reflections off of that solar mechanism. And while researchers have effectively proven that the Hollow Earth Theory is empty, there are still people out there who believe that the Earth is hollow, and it's inhabited by everything from aliens to giants to advanced human species. So hey, you know what? If you're one of those people, I say grab a shovel. The truth is down there. Phantom Time Hypothesis. So I recently did a video where I talked about uh, metric time and the fact that when the Gregorian calendar was introduced, uh, they actually had to subtract two years off of our calendar. Now imagine erasing 300 years from existence. That's the theory behind the Phantom Time Hypothesis, an idea first promoted by German historian Herbert Elig in 1991. According to Elig, the years from 614 AD to 911 AD were completely made up. Why? Well, Elig says that Emperor Otto III wanted to begin his reign in the year 1000 A.D., which sounded much cooler than 996 A.D. So he enlisted Pope Sylvester II to rewrite the calendar. Elig also claims that Otto III, Sylvester II, and Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII were actually alive in the 700s, but they wanted to live in the year 1000. So if Phantom Time is true, that means that certain historical figures like, say, Charlemagne never existed. So what kind of evidence is there to back up this theory? Elig offers three clues. First is that there isn't much archaeological evidence from 614 to 911 AD. Second is there's a lot of Roman architecture in the 10th century Western Europe. Elix says this doesn't make sense because the Roman Empire fell in 476 AD. The third idea has to do with calendars. In simple terms, Elix says that while the Julian calendar should have been behind about 13 days, it was actually only behind by 10 days. The argument goes that because of the number of days the Earth takes to rotate around the sun, the Julian calendar should have subtracted a day every 128 days to make up for the extra day. But it didn't. The Julian calendar came around in 45 AD, and the Gregorian one in 1582. That makes 1,627 years, which comes out to 13 sets of 128 years. But the Julian calendar was only so off by tri- about 1, 10, 10 days. Which when you 16, yeah, here's some reasons why that's all BS. While there isn't much archaeological evidence from this period, there is some. Plus, we can carbon date things of that period, and there's tree rings and all other pieces of evidence too. And as for the whole Roman architecture thing, yeah, people built with a Roman style for a very long time because the Romans were considered the height of civilization, so leaders wanted to project that under themselves, power and civility and everything, so they would build with Roman architecture. I mean, we're still doing it today. Look at the White House. And concerning the calendar, the Gregorian one wasn't set back to 45 AD. It was set back to 325 AD. Why? Because that's when the Council of Nicaea met to establish the date of Easter. There are also astronomical records that go way back before 614 AD that all line up to today and wouldn't work if that time was missing. There's also the small problem that, um... Europe isn't the whole world. There were dozens of civilizations all around the world that do have very well-kept records from that time period. One might say the only thing that's a phantom in this scenario is any credibility behind this idea. And last but not least, The universe is a neural network. It's been pointed out by a lot of people that if you look far enough back at the universe, the structure of the universe kind of looks like brain matter. This has led to all kinds of speculation, one of them being that the universe itself is a vast neural network. That's the idea behind a paper by Vitaly Venturin published in August 2020, where he attempts to reconcile the gap between classical physics and quantum mechanics. Venturin developed this idea as he was exploring machine learning, and he realized that there's some mechanisms in machine learning that are kind of similar to certain instances of quantum mechanics. As Venturin told Futurism in 2020, in this paper I consider that a microscopic neural network is the fundamental structure and that everything else, i.e. quantum mechanics, general relativity, and macroscopic observers, emerges from it. He said that his theory can be proven wrong if you can find a phenomenon that can't be modeled with a neural network. But that's a difficult task, he says, because we don't fully understand how neural networks work completely. He also relates his theory to natural selection. He explains that there are microscopic neural network structures that are stable and some that are unstable, and the stable ones go on and survive, and the unstable ones disappear. So natural selection, of course, would produce nothing but stable ones, no matter what their size is. As he wrote in the paper, quote, If correct, then what we now call atoms and particles might actually be the outcomes of a long evolution, starting from some very low-complexity structures, and what we now call macroscopic observers and biological cells might be the outcome of an even longer evolution. In other words, things like particles, atoms, observers, cells, all of that is just a long process of natural selection. This whole idea is kind of similar to the simulation argument, except instead of us living inside of a programmed world inside of a computer, we're sort of basically the imagination of a giant brain. It's kind of hard to not get a little spiritual when considering this argument and not put it in terms of a deity or a higher being of some sort, you know, that our entire reality is nothing more than a dream of an infinite consciousness. Because that's kind of what brains do. They construct reality. And everybody's reality is just a little bit different. If you want to explore that idea even further, I can recommend the show What is Reality? Available on CuriosityStream. Hosted by Dave Eagleman, this video examines the nature of the brain and how it turns trillions of action potentials in the nervous system into our conscious experience. How one person's reality might not be the same as somebody else's, and the implications of all that. This is, of course, just one of thousands of documentaries you can find on CuriosityStream from some of the best documentary filmmakers from around the world. It was created by the guys behind the Discovery Channel, so it's kind of like what the Discovery Channel was meant to be. Yeah, my biggest problem with CuriosityStream is that whenever they sponsor a video, I go and try to find some video that would tie into the subject that I'm talking about, and I always wind up just watching stuff, and then two hours later, I'm not getting any work done. Yeah, it's that good. Plus, when you sign up for CuriosityStream, you get free access to Nebula, the streaming service I'm a part of, as well as many of your other favorite science communicators. You'll be able to see all of our videos ad-free, meaning what you're sitting through right now wouldn't be on there. And it's also the only place to watch my new Nebula original series, Mysteries of the Human Body, which just launched last week. It's a six-part series that explores some of the weirdest and least understood things about the human body. And again, you'll get access to it when you sign up for CuriosityStream at curiositystream.com slash scott. Something else you'll find on Nebula is Nebula Plus content, which is sometimes videos that creators make the sort of supplement videos that they put out on YouTube or longer versions of what they've got on YouTube. In fact, this video on Nebula will have an extra uh, theory on there that won't be here. You can only see it there. So that's that's another reason to go check it out. But anyway, their current bundle is 26% off right now, meaning you'll get a whole year of both Curiosity Stream and Nebula for $14.79. Again, for a whole year. No, it's seriously the best streaming deal on the planet, so if you haven't had a chance to check it out, I invite you to go check it out, so yeah, curiositystream.com slash Scott, link down below. All right, big thanks to Stream for supporting this video, and a huge shout out to the Patreon supporters on Patreon, the answer files who are uh, uh, supporting this channel, keeping the lights on, helping me grow a team, all that great stuff. Uh, I got some new people I need to shout out and murder some names real quick. We got Tina Moore, Sarai Arams, I think. Penny, Mark Lobb, Stephen Williams, Julia Sossaman, Brandon C. Caronin, uh, Timothy Cooley, Frank S. Drugen, Daniel Clarkson II, Patrick C., Daniel Delamonesh, I think, and David Ward. <laughs> Alright, thank you guys so much. If you'd like to join them, uh, get early access to videos, exclusive live streams, and extra content, and just join a cool community, you can go to patreon.com slash answerswithjoe. Please do like and share this video if you liked it, and if this is your first time here, Google thinks you might like this video, so go check that out, or any of the others on the side over here. And if you do like them, and you're not subscribed, I invite you to subscribe, because I do come back with videos every Monday. By the way, share in the comments below which one of these is your favorite uh, alternate reality kind of thing, uh, or if there's one that I didn't cover on here, there's actually a lot that I didn't cover, uh, share that one as well. But anyway, that's it for now. You guys go out there, have an eye-opening rest of the week, and I'll see you when I see you. Love you guys. Take care.